Uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm going to make a, a brief statement, then I'll take uh, I'll, I'll take some questions. Uh, let me say first that I am uh, immensely proud of the uh, campaign that Yes Scotland fought, and particularly of the 1.6 million uh, voters who rallied uh, to that cause. Uh, I'm also proud of the 85% turnout in the referendum and the remarkable response of the people of Scotland who participated in this great democratic constitutional debate and, of course, the manner in which they conducted themselves. We have now the uh, opportunity to hold Westminster's feet to the fire on the vow that they have made to devolve further meaningful power to Scotland. This places Scotland in a very strong position. Uh, I spoke to the Prime Minister today and although he reiterated his intention to proceed as he has now outlined, he would not commit to a second reading vote by the 27th of March on a new Scotland Bill. That was a clear promise laid out by Gordon Brown during the campaign. The Prime Minister says such a vote would be meaningless. I suspect he can't guarantee the support of his party. And as we have already seen in the last uh, hour, the common front between Labour and Tory, Tory and Labour, is starting to break. But the real point is this. The real guardians of progress are no longer politicians at Westminster or even at Holyrood, but the energised activism of tens of thousands of people who I predict will refuse to meekly go back into the political shadows. For me right now, therefore, there is a decision as to who is best placed to lead this process forward. I believe that this is a new, exciting situation that's redolent with possibility. But in that situation, I think that party, parliament and country would benefit from new leadership. Uh, therefore, I've told the National Secretary of the Scottish National Party that I shall not accept nomination for leader at the annual conference in Perth on the 13th to the 15th of November. After the uh, membership ballot, I'll stand down as First Minister to allow the new leader to be elected by due parliamentary process. Until then, I'll continue to serve as First Minister. After that, I shall continue to offer myself as member for the Scottish Parliament for Aberdeen East. It has been the privilege of my life to serve as First Minister. But as I said often enough during this referendum campaign, uh, this is a process which is not about me or the SNP or any political party. It's much, much more important than that. The position is this, we lost the referendum vote, but Scotland can still carry the political initiative. Scotland can still emerge as the real winner. Uh, for me as, uh, as leader, my time is, uh, is nearly over. But for Scotland, the campaign continues and the dream shall never die. And now I'm very happy to answer a few questions. Brian Taylor. First Minister, thank you very much indeed for that, that statement. A, a couple of things. Do you have a particular successor in mind? Can you indicate what was the, 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 the precise motivation that, is, that has led you to this decision? And, and most particularly, you, you said during the, the, the referendum campaign that this was a decision for a generation, possibly a lifetime. Do you believe the party that you have led uh, now for some time will change its nature and become more a party of Scottish affairs and Scottish interests? rather than primarily a party of independence? 
He will know his answer to the, the, the last part of that question, Brian. But on the, the question of who's to be the, the new leader of the, uh, of the Scottish National Party and likely, therefore, uh, through parliamentary process to be the next First Minister, that is a, a matter for the membership of the, of the SNP. There are a number of uh, eminently qualified and, and very suitable uh, uh, candidates. We have a strong uh, leadership team. As far as my comments, I've always believed, as you know, that uh, a referendum is a once-in-a-generation process, and I always meant by that a political generation. We had a referendum in 79, we had another one in 97. And I did draw attention to it seems to me that the political focus to take Scotland forward has now shifted. The commitments were made, vows were made, in the last stages of the referendum campaign. A clear, explicit timetable was laid out. Uh, as I said in the statement, I think the opportunity for Scotland is twofold. One is to hold Westminster's feet to the fire to make sure there is no slippage from that timetable. I'm disappointed that the idea of a second reading vote has, seems to have disappeared already, uh, as well as the Labour Conservative Common Front uh, on the issue. But the real guardians of Scotland uh, are not political parties at Westminster, not even the political parties at Holyrood now. The real guardians of Scotland are the energised activism of tens of thousands of people who are now in the political process. That's where the guarantees lie, in my estimation. And your primary reason for standing down, First Minister? Well, as I, I said, I think uh, in these circumstances you should judge uh, whether the, the party, parliament, country would benefit from new leadership. Uh, you know, as, as you know, because I think probably you're the only journalist in in this room, Brian, who've, uh, who's covered that entire political uh, process. Uh, I had 10 years as leader of the Scottish National Party, then a, a slight pause, and then another <laughs> 10 years I've just, uh, uh, I've just completed. Uh, it's not exactly uh, fly-by-night in terms of the, the leadership spell. But at this stage, at this point, and I think this is a moment of great political opportunity, I had to make a judgment as to whether I'm best placed to, to take that opportunity forward, and I think others are. Uh, and the party, I'm sure, will make a, a wise choice uh, and take party and country forward. Uh, it, the most important thing uh, is not uh, about who's first minister, uh, but whether you engage the political process. Uh, I think there's a tremendous opportunity to do it, but I think new leadership can be part of that galvanising process. Uh, I think Claire, Claire Stewart. Clear, yeah. First Minister, what's your reaction to Ed Miliband not signing up to David Cameron's devolution plan? And secondly, how difficult a decision was this for you? Well, I, I just make this commentary to people that I, uh, when uh, Ed Miliband and David Cameron came to Scotland a week past, uh, I felt they, they lacked a degree of credibility in terms of the last-minute nature of the offer, the last-minute uh, dash to Scotland in terms of political engagement. It was clear to me that, however, over the last uh, 48 hours, because of the manner in which the, uh, the vow was presented, that a number of people thought that it was so explicit and so clear and so definite that there could be no going back from it. Uh, it does seem, and who knows, maybe we'll get a different statement tomorrow, that both in terms of the Gordon Brown timetable to have a a parliamentary vote uh, in a set timetable before the general election, and presumably Gordon Brown suggested that because he knows it wasn't the, 
the exact parliamentary process it counted. It was actually having a, a second reading vote to demonstrate real commitment. Both that and indeed the common front between the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition, which seems so easy when people in Scotland were to be persuaded to vote no, now in the aftermath seems somewhat more difficult. Be that as it may, as I said, I think the guardians of Scotland in this process are now the tens of thousands of people activated into politics. I don't think we any longer depend on the, the words or the deeds of Westminster politicians or even Holyrood politicians. I think that's where the centre of gravity now lies and it's on that basis I'm, uh, I'm confident about the future uh, as opposed to the, the words of, uh, of Westminster politicians. They will be judged, of course, not by the words they spoke, but the actions they now take forward. Martin Geisler, please. Um. Just to be clear, are you suggesting the Scottish electorate have been duped by Westminster? And what would the consequences be were that so? Well, <clears throat> there are 1.6 million uh, people who made a choice for independence. Uh, that is an extraordinary total. That's way beyond uh, realistic expectations of the, the last generation of uh, Scottish politics. We've had a succession of polls, actually, during this campaign when the multi-option choice was presented had independence as the, the main choice. Uh, I think uh, the 1.6 million will, will speak and speak loud if there is a retreat from the commitments that were made. But more than that, I think many of the, the 2 million people who weren't persuaded by the argument for Scottish independence, that many of them were persuaded that something else was about to be offered. On a timetable, we were told, which was quicker and more certain than the process of independence negotiations. I imagine that these people in particular will be astonished by the early developments at Westminster that the United Front, that the easy commitments are now starting to be withdrawn. Uh, those of us who voted yes uh, did so in a faith and belief in Scotland's future, but also a healthy scepticism of Westminster paper guarantees. Some of the people who voted no will be incandescent, I suspect, if they see slippage from a timetable clearly articulated only a few days ago. John. First Minister, you talk of, um, you talk of energised activism, but energised activism mm. unmarshaled, unled, uh, may not go very far. No First Minister with obligations to the whole of Scotland can hope to become involved <coughs> in that energised activism. Hence, will you become buried within it, or will you become the leader of it, and will you continue to toil for independence? Well, the First Minister, and therefore in respect to the leader of the, the, the country, will be the person who Parliament chooses in the parliamentary process. I have no intention of retiring from Scottish politics. A large number of things that you're able to do when you're not First Minister and leader of a political party, which are nonetheless, I think, often useful. But I think the whole point, John, about the energised activism is it doesn't depend on leadership figures. I would have thought the whole point about it and the significant development in this campaign was the emergence of that as a grassroots movement. And by definition, it's not top-down leadership. So therefore, not only will I not be the leader of that energised activism, by definition, it doesn't come from a leadership aspect. But I want to be part of of that campaign. I, I think it was fundamentally exciting. I think it was one of the, 
underlying amazing stories of this political campaign. Uh, and I have to say, those who, who didn't see that huge story because they were concerned about some relatively peripheral, minor instance from either side on the, on the corner of politics and missed this extraordinary development in this modern age of uh, political activism on a scale which certainly Scotland has never seen. That is one of the underlying wonderful stories in the campaign. The question is, how does that rebalance uh, Scottish politics? I think it's quite fundamental, and I, I think it leaves challenges particularly to Westminster, the ultimate top-down <laughs> A leadership process. I think it also lays challenges to, to Holyrood about how that activism can be engaged and, and encompassed within the, the sphere of Scottish politics. But it doesn't depend on a, a leader figure. I think that's one of the points, John. And yeah, you continue to toil for independence? Uh, not toil, I think, sir. No, 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 I, shall, I, shall, I believed in Scottish independence all my political life. I continue to believe in Scottish independence. I shall do everything that I possibly can to contribute to that cause. Uh, but there are many more ways to, to do it than as leader of the Scottish National Party and First Minister of Scotland. I shall be a... I shall be a oh, yes, uh, absolutely. I think the position that we're in now, Scotland is in now, is redolent with opportunity. If you regard it as a narrow a political focus, which I don't think we should, then, of course, there's a great opportunity for the, the SNP and, indeed, the other yes forces. Uh, but I am more interested in the, the opportunity that lies ahead for... Uh, for Scotland. I think the situation is redolent with opportunity and political progress for the country. Peter. First Minister, when I interviewed you recently, you looked me in the eye and you said, we will win in the south of Scotland and we will win across Scotland. Now, you've lost by a margin of 10 percentage points. That's a very, very big margin. Seems to me here you're blaming the Westminster forces do you not take some personal responsibility for this defeat? Hey, well, I'll now look you straight in the eye, Peter, and say that I think 45% of the vote and 1.6 million votes is a, a remarkable uh, a political development. And uh, if you'd been interviewing me a few months ago, in fact, I think you were. Uh, you uh, certainly didn't believe or forecast that to be the case. I, I know this absolutely because I saw you say it in television uh, a few hours ago, Peter. Uh, in terms of personal responsibility, well, you know, look, I, I don't think there's uh, any more assured way to, to take whatever responsibility I have for that in the, in the decision that I've just made. Any mistakes that were made in this campaign were mine. I was leader of the, the campaign. Nobody else is responsible. I think, however, that a balanced judgment would tell you that this campaign went a long way in a very reasonable short space of time in the last few months to delivering on that uh, ambition uh, for Scotland. Uh, so I, uh, uh, but in terms of no campaign is ever perfect, of course it's not. Uh, and whatever mistakes were made are mine and mine alone. Please. Uh, David Clegg from the Daily Record. Um, as a member of the SNP, who do you plan to support for your replacement as leader? Well, the, uh, there's a number of conventions uh, in politics. Uh, I mean, there's a number of conventions in politics I've broken there. <laughs> but uh, the, 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 what's, uh, uh, shall I vow on this, uh, you think, uh, David? But, uh, <laughs> but can I say, one of the conventions I think is entirely appropriate in, in a membership ballot uh, uh, and a, a pure democracy like the SNP leadership contest with one person, one vote. 
Uh, I think it's rather incumbent on the outgoing leader not to to attempt to um, nominate that process. The whole point about it is that everybody in that process, like everybody in this referendum, has, has one vote, just like everyone else. So I won't be presuming to instruct the Scottish National Party. They are well able. Uh, I think that the, the leadership judgments in the main part, especially you know, when they voted for me, uh, the SNP <laughs> have, been, uh, have been pretty good. And the, the members of the SNP, uh, I think, uh, are, are well able to make that judgment uh, without any guidance from the outgoing leader. Young lady. Thank you. First Minister, we're obviously in a situation, <coughs> excuse me, we're with the process of further devolution starting soon, times of the essence. How quickly could your successor be appointed? The, my successor should be in place at the time of the SNP annual conference in Perth in the 13th to 15th November, uh, and the parliamentary vote, uh, which the pro proper process of becoming First Minister, it would then likely be the, the next week. The parliamentary timetable is not uh, a matter for me as a presiding officer would immediately remind us, uh, but nonetheless that would be the likelihood mid-November mid in terms of the of the new First Minister. Any leadership campaign, incidentally, is an energising process uh, for political parties, and uh, I see no reason whatsoever uh, that the SNP uh, wouldn't want to engage in that. And indeed, uh, you know, all politics doesn't stop because you're having a leadership contest. On the contrary, uh, a leadership contest helps to crystallise the, the different ways ahead. Now, for me, and I've made some observations, there seems to me a very clear priority for Scotland and indeed a political opportunity for Scotland. Uh, but uh, I'm sure that will develop uh, and emerge as the, uh, as the SNP leadership uh, contest uh, moves forward. Andy. Well, I should have said, actually, I think you've been uh, through that entire process along with uh, Brian Taylor. That's right, a big well, part well, of it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you um, talk us through in a little more detail what your conversation was with the Prime Minister, how you raised the matter of the deadline for the second reading and what his response was to that? Well, I, I congratulated the Prime Minister on, because he is de facto the, the leader of the No campaign, I, can, I congratulated uh, him on uh, his success uh, in the campaign. I, he'd uh, kindly, through the civil service, sent me a, a note of, uh, of what he had in mind uh, to say. Uh, there were a number of aspects that I found uh, quite satisfactory. <coughs> But when I asked uh, the Prime Minister, uh, because I was interested to know if the Gordon Brown timetable, which he endorsed, of course, of the 27th of March, to have a vote on a Scotland bill, then the Prime Minister's response was to say, well, <coughs> that is a, is a meaningless process because, of course, it would be overtaken by the UK general election. Uh, I probably think Gordon Brown knew that when he put forward the 27th of March. I think what he, I assume what he was trying to do was to say, look, there'll be a vote in the House of Commons which will indicate the support for such a proposal. My suspicion is, and the Prime Minister most certainly didn't tell me this aspect, that uh, there is some doubt in the Prime Minister's mind about carrying his own backbenches, uh, therefore a reluctance to have uh, a vote. But I think people in Scotland would be uh, astonished uh, and uh, outraged, particularly those who voted no in this prospectus, if we now find out that we are moving back uh, from the, the clearly enunciated vow of the joint endeavour 
of the major Westminster parties to move forward on a timetable clearly set out has within 24 hours uh, become uh, a non-joint endeavour uh, and a parliamentary vote that may never actually happen. Now, I, I don't think that is going to be satisfactory to Scotland, and I think that the guarantee that we look for lies in that energised activism uh, of the, the Scottish people. I think they are the guardians of Scotland. Please. Uh, Tom Peterkin, the Scotsman. Um, you talk about this um, energised campaign, but do you not concede that there are a, a large number of people in our country who have felt deeply uneasy about the prospect of not remaining within the UK? Well, uh, Tom, I obviously accept that 55% of the country voted against independence and 45% voted for it. Uh, I, what I disagree with people about is the description of that. I mean, certainly that is a, a politically balanced judgment on either side, but it's not the same thing as a fight or an argument. I mean, I, I see no sign in Scotland today, despite the obvious disappointment of the Yes campaign and the, the, uh, the success of the, the, the No campaign, and... I see no, no sign of the uh, divided country uh, that some people were forecasting. 99% uh, you know, of people in Scotland know we have elections to, to have a result and have referendums uh, and felt this process of having a referendum and having the ability to choose is a fundamentally invigorating process. Uh, and, of course, if you have elections or referendum, then one of the aspects is you're prepared to accept the result, as I did on behalf of the the Yes campaign this morning. What's been the matter, Tom, with Scottish <coughs> politics is not that we've had elections and accepted the result, that we've had elections for the better part of the last uh, 59 years in which I've been alive when the result uh, that was declared wasn't the one that we voted for. Uh, so therefore, I mean, when you have an election, when you have a contest, uh, then people accept the result. And so, yes, it's the Yes campaign who obviously are disappointed that we didn't win. But the Yes campaign, I declare, has accepted the result uh, and, of course, are prepared and willing to engage under the Edinburgh Agreement uh, in terms of uh, not just accepting that result but moving forward in the best interests of Scotland and the rest of the United Kingdom. The words I've had today have come about because, even quicker than I suspected, uh, part of the vow it seems to have been unvowed in a remarkably short period of time. Colin. Many of your friends and party members will be really upset today anyway. Aren't you just adding to that by resigning to, or announcing your resignation today? And how do you feel about that for them? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm conscious of that, Colin, but I have consistently argued a position, particularly as this referendum, this amazing campaign emerged, that this was not about an individual or one political party or any political party. This was much, much bigger and more important than that. Uh, and therefore, you know, my judgment has to be, as far as the SNP's contribution to that bigger process, would it benefit from having, at this stage, new leadership? Would the country benefit, therefore, and would the parliament benefit? And my judgment is it would. Uh, and therefore, surely, it's in the spirit of, uh, of not just saying it's about more important than individuals, actually, to, to carry that forward. Sir, sorry, I don't have Kevin Andrews from The Courier. Can I ask when exactly you made the decision to stand down and if this is the end for you in frontline <coughs> politics or if you could be tempted back if a new leader was to offer you some sort of role? 
Uh, if nominated, I'll decline. <laughs> no, I, uh, I think, uh, can I, I mean, I, I, as I've said a number of times, I keep saying I'm 59, and I've asked audiences around Scotland to agree with me, I don't look it, you know, but I am 60 years old in Hogmanay. <laughs> and although I, I don't, I mean, that's not an ageist comment. I think many people uh, do wonderful things, both in politics and elsewhere, uh, way beyond uh, that age. But uh, uh, 20 years as, uh, as leader of the Scottish National Party is a, a fair spell of the last quarter uh, century, uh, and uh, a... a the last uh, seven years as uh, First Minister of Scotland has been uh, the privilege of my life. Uh, but uh, so uh, I think that's a, a, a reasonable spell of service. And I think there is an aspect that you have to understand and recognise when it's, uh, it's time to, to give someone else a chance to move that forward. I, I think, I mean, if we regard this, uh, let's stop you know, talking about referendum battles and things like that. But let's, let's talk about getting up, the, uh, getting up the mountain. And, you know, I think uh, the base camp is, uh, is not far off the summit now, uh, but it might be that uh, those who make that, uh, that last uh, move to the summit uh, are not those who got it to the, uh, uh, to the, current, uh, the current encampment. So uh, uh, I think that's my judgment, uh, and that's, I think, the right thing to do. Uh, as to when, I made the decision this morning. Uh, uh, I, uh, I wasn't as rightly said. I mean, I, uh, I believed that there was uh, great possibilities uh, in the uh, in the campaign, uh, and uh, obviously I wouldn't have made the decision if there had been a yes vote. I think in the circumstances of the vote we have, galvanising, wonderful, empowering, and massive though it is, uh, I think it's my judgment that someone else, new leadership, would be the best place to take that forward to to the summit that I'm speaking about. Please. Uh, Magnus Garden from the Herald. Um, First Minister, you are Scotland's longest serving First Minister. You won an election and a majority government which a lot of people uh, believed was impossible. You staged a referendum on independence which a lot of people believed was impossible. In that referendum you secured 45% of the vote which a few weeks ago a lot of people would have thought was impossible. Um, when you come to leave office, how much of you will feel that you fell short? And how much of you will feel that actually you achieved a great deal? I should have spoken to you this morning. That's a very good description of, uh, of, uh, of the process. Magnus, it's more a judgment of where we are. I think we've, uh, as I said, and I absolutely believe, I think the circumstances are redolent with possibilities for Scotland uh, and for the SNP, but much more importantly for Scotland. Uh, but uh, there is a judgment to be made about how best to take that forward. What is the SNP and the First Minister's contribution to that? Uh, and I am convinced that at this stage, at this moment, uh, it'd be better to to have that under under new leadership. It's about how the process goes forward. Uh, and that, and, and only that, is, uh, is my interest in this matter, and in fact, uh, always has been. James, please. First Minister, you referred this morning to the people of Scotland voting against independence at this stage. You've mm. talked here about holding Westminster's feet to the fire in terms of the demand mm. for yeah. more powers. Do you not accept that because the people of Scotland have spoken, <coughs> that your dream of independence is dead for a generation? Well, I've said a number of times, uh, James, that uh, I think a referendum, a constitutional referendum, is uh, 
a once-in-a-generation process. That's my opinion. I've never expressed it as anything other than, than, than my uh, observation. I'm merely pointing out uh, that, and let's see, you know, the uh, confusion of the Westminster leaders already, uh, this rapid disengagement from their engagement, uh, you know, may not carry. Maybe tomorrow there'll, there'll be a, a joint statement or there'll be another joint letter, who knows. Uh, but uh, I think uh, I'm entitled to say that uh, many people in Scotland were persuaded uh, by the, uh, the joint vow uh, because it was so explicit that surely that cannot be anything other than a, a, a real intent to, to go forward. So I think it's, we're quite entitled to, to say uh, uh, that uh, I think the people of Scotland should hold the leadership at Westminster's feet to the fire in this process. That was the basis on which they secured their majority in the, in the referendum. Uh, but can I just say that the, the process of Scotland gaining self-government uh, you know, has been one which has gone through many faces and many forms, eh, all of which have been entirely legitimate. The only consistent thread is they've all been within the democratic process and entirely peaceful, eh, as they always will be, in my estimation. Eh, you know, those uh, who are forward them, like uh, Brian and Andy, would be able to detail the phases of gradualism and uh, fundamentalism and the range of other... And these were all legitimate tactics about how Scotland's cause and case could be moved forward. Right now, on the basis of what has happened in the referendum, there is a political opportunity for this nation in terms of holding Westminster to account on promises that have been made to enhance the power of the Scottish Parliament. That is progress uh, towards the objective of independence. That doesn't involve, certainly in the future that we can see, having another constitutional referendum uh, on independence, but it still means that progress can be made to that objective in a way that was done before I introduced the referendum as a policy that the SNP should, should abide by. But listen, these will be exciting aspects of the leadership uh, debate and campaign within the, the Scottish National Party, which I'm sure will be well covered uh, in Scottish politics. And uh, those of uh, us who remember all the the highways and byways of the various nuances of constitutional politics, no doubt, will will dust down the, the old lexicon and get back into these terminologies. Please, sorry. Yeah. You are the first minister of a country. You must have known the referendum could go this way. Don't you feel that you have a responsibility to the people of Scotland to stay rather than perhaps destabilising things? And secondly, if I may say so, you're not an old man. What are you actually going to do if you step back? Are you simply going to withdraw entirely from political life, or are you going to take another role? Well, I, I'm not going to withdraw entirely from political life. If the people of uh, Aberdeenshire East uh, wish to elect me, I, I'll be a candidate. I intend to be a candidate in the next Scottish elections. I'm not withdrawing uh, uh, retiring from political life. I, I've, I've, uh, I've never been one, incidentally, who've criticised people who've continued to, to put themselves forward to election. I've occasionally criticised those people who suddenly, uh, 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 when they demit office, think that's the be-all and end-all of uh, politics. I'm delighted, Kirsty, that you have identified that indeed I am not an old man and I heartily endorse your, uh, uh, your observation on the matter. But you don't have to be leader of the SNP or First Minister to contribute to the political process. Can I just say, when the time, uh, I think the four years I wasn't leader of the Scottish National Party in the last quarter of a century, uh, I felt in, for example, the uh, debates on the uh, illegal invasion of Iraq, 
uh, or the potential impeachment of uh, Mr Blair, that however one thought about these issues, I, 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 didn't, I made a, a reasonable contribution to the political process without being leader of the Scottish National Party and certainly without being First Minister of Scotland. I love the fact that I've been the, the longest serving First Minister of Scotland, not because I'm the longest serving First Minister, but because it has allowed, I think, substantial achievements to be made in the Scottish Parliament and the Scottish society. If you ask me what the one I'm most proud of is, it's the restoration of, of free education. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm also aware, and I think by general acknowledgement, that the Scottish National Party has the strongest leadership team uh, in Scottish politics, and it's right and proper uh, that uh, these people are given a, an opportunity, whoever is chosen by the party, to show what they can do as First Minister of, of Scotland. Uh, and I think, you know, 20 of the... Uh, the, the last 24 years is not a, an inconsiderable or unreasonable shift uh, at the uh, at the coalface. John again here. truth beneath your resignation that you can't bear the thought of sitting down and negotiating with the forces at Westminster to deliver something you don't really want because you want independence. Uh, John, uh, <laughs> you're one of the most uh, perceptive uh, of uh, uh, the Metropolitan commentators who've joined us over these recent weeks. I, and uh, I, I'm not, <laughs> but for, for you, given your, your perception, uh, uh, I think I, I've been occasionally criticised for being too willing <laughs> to, to sit down with the forces of uh, Westminster. I, I've never found any difficulty in, uh, in sitting down, even with those who I fundamentally disagree, or for that matter, in campaigning for things which were short of the ultimate objective which I had. I'm, I'm rather amused, I occasionally heard during this referendum campaign of, uh, of how the Scottish National Party shunned the, uh, the devolution process in 1997 in the referendum campaign. That's not actually my memory of, of, uh, of that campaign. So I've never found any difficulty in that. I, I've always believed that, uh, which uh, is what made me a gradualist in SNP terms, uh, that it was important for Scotland to uh, be uh, take the opportunity when it presented itself uh, to move uh, things forward in terms of additional powers for the Parliament, not for the sake of the Parliament having the powers, but so the Parliament could demonstrate by having the powers uh, that they could uh, demonstrate the competence and ability that people would like to see from a Parliament to, to judge it capable of running an independent country. Now, I accept we haven't won that majority in a referendum. But there's a clear demonstration that many, many people in Scotland, more than ever before, are now fundamentally convinced by that argument. Brian Taylor. When you say things like that, Brian, I know, I, I know that uh, what, what, what I should you, be what careful. Believe, what do you believe turned the referendum? At what point during the campaign did you begin to suspect or suspect very clearly that it might not be yours to win? Oh, I think that there's two aspects. <clears throat> and one, obviously, the, uh, the fear-mongering, the scare-mongering, the extraordinary uh, uh, array of, uh, of panicky sounds uh, which was uh, emerged. I mean, obviously some people are influenced that, but particularly older people in Scotland. And let me, let's be clear about this. Uh, that fear is a uh, various thing which can uh, it, uh, demeans a political process, and particularly when it's applied to, uh, to, to elderly people. So uh, that was a, a key aspect. But I think actually what uh, won the campaign for no was the offer of something else. 
because the fundamental weakness of the uh, no campaign, not just over the last uh, couple of months, but over the last couple of years, has been their total, absolute, complete inability to put forward a positive prospectus or case. And therefore, when one is presented, even with 24 hours to go, in a way which people look, and many people, without uh, your long studying of politics and my long practitioning and, and looking at how these things have been extracted like teeth from Westminster over the last generation, we look at that and say, surely that is a vow. I think that was. Uh, and when you hear uh, from the, the doorstep, but, but you know, the, the phrase, uh, but isn't, aren't we going to win anyway? You know, we'll either get independence or we'll get then, of course, there is a suspicion that, that many people began to believe that something substantial was about to be offered for Scotland. Now, that's what happened in my estimation, but where we are now is to make sure that vows and promises and commitments which are offered are realised. Uh, if they aren't realised, then I suspect there'll be a, uh, a bitter harvest, not for the people of Scotland, a bitter harvest for, for those who engaged in that. Now, they have time not to do that, of course. They have time to, to change tack and present uh, represent the United Front and the United Timetable and the votes uh, to indicate their bona fides on the matter. Kirsty, yeah. Do you, do you think, though, that what has happened now in the way where we are now represents like, a high watermark of nationalism as practiced by the SNP? And what has come out of this will maybe be a new political movement, a new party. Jim Sillers has talked about this, that actually now there has been such an engagement through the referendum and uh, you know, the Labour Party is not delivered for Scotland, you now cannot deliver independence in that way, that actually there'll be a new movement. Well, uh, uh, certainly a high watermark, uh, Kirsty, of that, there is no doubt whatsoever. I've seen, I think, three polls in this campaign which have shown independence as the lead option. There have been one or two polls uh, which have shown independence as the uh, lead in a binary choice, not very many over the last generation of Scottish politics. I, I can't think and remember of any which showed independence as the lead option even over, in one case, something which wasn't on offer, the devil max or real economic powers. So I think that's a significant uh, high watermark. Do I think there's opportunities for the Scottish National Party as well as... Uh, yeah, yes, I do. I, I think from SNP in terms of its organisation and, its, uh, uh, and its, uh, its position is in a great position politically in terms of moving forward on that uh, agenda. But do I think that's the most important thing? I've never thought that was the most important thing. And you know what? People in the SNP don't think that's the most important thing. Their, their reason for being in the SNP in the first place is progress towards Scottish uh, independence. Uh, therefore, I think the, my judgment is the SNP have great political opportunity, but my real judgment is, even more importantly, I think that Scotland has enormous political opportunity. Uh, guys, uh, I think we're getting... I beg your pardon, you haven't had a, a question. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned the uh, fear-mongering of the no campaign mm. um, and also the devolution offer uh, affecting the vote. Is there anything which the yes campaign did which meant it didn't get a majority? I, I think of these two things because Project Fear was not a, it was not a recent development. Uh, it was something that had been going on for some considerable time. And although I, I think the... Yeah, the intensity of it uh, undoubtedly, I think, influenced some uh, elderly voters in particular. I, I was much more encouraged by people's ability to go beyond that. Uh, you know, remember, the, the, the Yes campaign over the last uh, four weeks has gained substantial ground. You know, we, uh, you know, 45 percent represents a significant advance over the, campaign, uh, over the campaign period. And therefore, I thought, my judgment is, 
that it was the uh, the last minute vow. The because when people have a choice, if they're not going to make a choice, which perhaps in uh, in their hearts they know to be right, there has to be a a reason for not making that choice. There has to be a uh, a, a, a way of uh, of offering to people a another another way forward. I, I think that's what the the vow uh, did for many people in Scotland. Presented in a way, and you know, let's uh, acknowledge a, a a clever presentation uh, that I think it gave people that reason for not for not making the choice which many people wanted to make. Now, uh, I none of this takes away from the fact that. Uh, uh, someone I saw uh, today said, look, uh, if we'd been talking two months ago, 45%, 1.6 million votes <laughs> would have been uh, seen as a, uh, a fantastic triumph. I mean, the only disappointment that the Yes campaign are in engaged in today is disappointment relative to where we could have been perhaps uh, a week ago. And, th and therefore, I, uh, as opposed to where we thought we would be perhaps two months ago, for most people in the Yes campaign at least. Uh, so... I think that last-minute offer was fundamental, and therefore I think it is fundamental that Scotland uh, ensures. And people here, whether it's the, the Yes campaign or, or whether it's people in the No campaign, this isn't actually a campaign point at all. I don't know if the Prime Minister or Mr Miliband truly understands this point. Uh, we'll see over the, over the coming days of how people will feel if these commitments and the timetable are not followed absolutely to the letter that was spelt out. I, I don't detect as yet any fundamental understanding from Westminster that, uh, I mean, it's one thing to change your ways when you're fundamentally scared in a campaign. I'm talking not here about the Scottish people, I'm talking about the Westminster establishment. Uh, the attitude of people in Scotland towards this, if there is any backtracking, in terms of timetable or commitment, will be extraordinary. Uh, and whatever credibility, and it wasn't much credibility in the first place, is left for these political parties, uh, will be totally removed. That's why, in answer to your point, Kirsty, I think politically there's opportunities for the SNP, but the, the key aspect for the broader Yes movement, the other political parties, the groups that grew, grew up during this campaign, uh, is to make sure that that initiative uh, is moved forward. Uh, for the sake of the country, whoever benefits politically at the end of the day is entirely secondary. The key benefit uh, surely is for the, uh, uh, the people we serve and the ones I have had the privilege to serve as First Minister for the last seven years. Ladies and gentlemen, I think that's been a pretty fair kick of the ball. So thank you all very much indeed. Thank you.